In the summer of 2016, a mysterious locked book appeared online, promising to reveal the magical secrets held inside if someone could solve the 16 puzzles required to open it. A year later, the book is open, and the adventure that thousands of readers embarked on to unlock it is becoming a book of its own. This is the story of how that adventure came to be. This is the making of the Monarch Papers. Welcome, everyone. <laughs> um, uh, you may or may not have noticed the silky smooth stylings of my voice. I've just gotten a new microphone um, on request of Simon Aerosmith. <laughs> I was fed up of editing and compressing your voice and trying to add different layers to it. I just wanted, can you just record yeah. in a nice yeah. microphone? Thank you. Yeah. Thank so, you so in much. case you don't recognize my voice, I am CJ Bernstein. And with me, as always, is Simon Aerosmith. Yay! And today we are talking about Fragment 12, which is the end of Phase 3. And there is, once again, a ton of stuff to unpack. And we have some really good questions because I managed to ask them in time. And um, yeah, so I think we should dig into it. Um, Excellent. Excited. What do you, do you remember anything about this before you and um, I both crammed to do research yeah. just well, prior to this um i remember that this was this was a big story piece yeah. and so we had uh, i had i had plenty to do because it was uh audio and we wanted to were we was this the piece we were originally going to do using youtube videos but we decided against it or was that no, no i think that was an earlier fragment wasn't it it well, may have we been did an, use, oh. yeah but i think what we wanted to do was maybe fake um uh, cctv stuff but we ended up going for audio because it's easier oh that's right yeah. yeah but we were inspired i can't remember there was an arg that actually that had surveillance cameras set up somewhere and you had to physically yeah. go somewhere to do something and people were helping you through the camera but we learned way back in phase one <laughs> that live events don't really work for us no 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 um <laughs> maybe for everyone else not <laughs> we're for better us. at faking it yeah we're much better at faking it <laughs> It's like um, life, really. Exactly, like everything. I am, you know, I'm faking publishing, writing, <laughs> editing, everything. Yeah. So where we left uh, all of the characters, e Ether's body was disconnected from his mind, and he reaches out to the Mountaineers to tell them that Kemetic Solutions has sent a kind of virus out into the internet to to try and destroy his mind because they're they're worried about him trying to break in so they so the mountaineers have to find a way to reunite him with his body while his body is still locked inside comedic solutions or he will die um so that was the beginning of like a, a ticking clock for us or for the mountaineers we like a ticking clock we, we like, like a ticking a of, clock we like stakes and we like you know we a bit do. of drama. Bit of and we up. also like when, when characters say, it's all going down on this date at this time. <laughs> 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 Which we, we got in the habit of doing. It became hard to let, while we, we leave a lot in the reader's hands throughout the course of the Monarch Papers, there were times when we had to say, for example, Whistler comes in eventually and says, the experiment, you know, the time I'll be able to r lower the defenses of comedic solutions is Wednesday, May 31st <laughs> at five o'clock. We're, we're all available <laughs> exactly. to do what we need to do. Yeah. And, and, and like two weeks in advance so that people had a ch not only we were ready, but then we knew people were going to show up yeah. to do it. Yeah. So, so 
they uh, rope Whistler into this, who is sort of at his wit's end or her wit's end. They still think it's a he. Um, and he's wanting to, she's wanting to tear comedic solutions apart. And Martin sort of goes to the, goes to Whistler and says, here's the truth. We're sort of a humanitarian group and, and there's a boy trapped in comedic solutions that, that's in trouble, still not wanting to reveal magic hmm. to this person, um, not wanting to freak them out. <laughs> little, little do they know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so Whistler accesses security cameras and thinks that she has found Ether in a secured room in the medical division of Comedic Solutions, but has no way to get to him. And then Fallon pulls her aside, Teddy Fallon, the the enemy of the Mountaineers, to tell her that they're ramping up a big experiment in the secure level, and because of attempted digital break-ins, they need her to monitor the system while they perform the experiment, because we wanted to get... Whistler's eyes on what was going on with Portensia, Portensia and Climber. So we had to sort of get our point of view character into mm-hmm. a point of view yeah. where, she, where, she can, <laughs> where she could relay information back. Yeah. Um, um, and there was something, uh, oh, this is, I actually pulled a quote from Robert because I thought this was funny. So Whistler is going to, on m- the following Monday, sort of watch, finally see what this chair is and what it does and, and what they're going to do to Portensia. And Robert said, if we opened a hole in the firewall before Monday, would it be possible for Ether to get in and hide inside Kendrick, who was the comatose friend of, of Whistler? Yeah. Maybe partly hang out in his body and could also stay in the medical tech near him? That might be easier than doing this while all their defenses are up <laughs> for their big experiment. And then he goes on to say, you know, I used to say sane, reasonable things before I I joined you guys. Now I'm suggesting we hide a teenager's disembodied mind inside a coma patient. Because why wouldn't you? (laughs) Yeah, I love that. Um, And so, yeah, uh, so the Mounties were kind of stressed because there was no guarantee that Comedic Solution didn't know that Whistler was an informant or not, if this was a trap, if they had learned that Whistler was sort of remembering things. And so they were also worried about um, Ether and whether he was going to die before they reunited him with his body. And I, and I reading back over these as a writer to make that work where, where these people on mass are worried about these fictional characters and writing them and saying, Marty, will you tell Whistler we've, we've got his back we're with him we're 100 percent um it is such an incredible feeling i just got goosebumps right now thinking well, about it i was also thinking about when you talk about point um give our point of view character a point of view that you have that's quite an art to do that without it feeling like it's shoehorned in you know finding a real genuine reason for this person to have an access and an ability to talk to the the readers um right. without it feeling like oh yeah that's just a you know a way to do that. I mean, it was, but it but the, the to, it felt genuine. It felt real. It felt yeah, yeah. I agree, and that was a lesson I learned as a writer through the course of the Monarch Papers that you can do things like that. You can sort of do the what's considered a trope yeah. if your readers want it. Yeah, if absolutely. They're, <laughs> if they're desperate for that experience or that moment, where. Uh, not just that Whistler's going to go down and, and recap them on everything, but we've established that Fallon may know Whistler is an informant, and this may be the last time we ever talk to them. There's, and there's so not, there are stakes. Yeah. That things matter. Yeah, yeah. yeah, There's nothing wrong with a trope, as you say. There's nothing wrong with a trope if it's authentic to that moment. 
yeah, and feels like it belongs in the story, then it's right. absolutely brilliant. Tropes are tropes because so often they work really well, yeah. and a lot of times people rely on them, and they don't work really well. But they're they're tropes <laughs> for a reason. It's like stereotypes. Yeah. Is that? <laughs> yeah. Well, it is sort of stereotypes are often based in some kernel of fact. It, yeah. I mean, it's like archetypes rather than stereotypes, I guess, isn't it? It's kind of thinking of um, the the ballpark rather than exaggerating stereotypical characters. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. And in, and also, people may want to go back and look at this fragment, but there were some things we hinted at in this fragment that went completely unnoticed that are huge lore dumps for the, the AG verse at large. Oh, right. But I think, okay. I think things were happening so quickly uh, and the stakes were really high, even higher than because with the Cagliostro, they weren't sure what was going to happen, but they felt that they felt confident that Marty was going to this performance and could maybe save Lauren. Uh, but this one, it was sort of all bets were off. These people you cared about, they could all die. And you were up against yeah. this organization that was just by virtue of us knowing about them would wipe us off the map. Yeah, and and, and as we said, this is the phase where generally previous Mounties had failed, right? Oh, that was the best. So they also knew going into this that it was fragment 12. You, that's a great point. They knew we had set up the stakes that this is... No one had go gone Got further than this. Yeah. And so... So Whistler watched Fallon put Portensia in this chair, this throne that's hundreds of years old. And when they look at the monitoring system, this, these like waves of energy are rolling off of it. And it's attached to this 500-year-old arch. <laughs> that they, <it's> like, <laughs> Of course it is. Uh, you know, as you do. <laughs> and, and apparently it sort of manifests the wills of adepts. And they're trying to like manipulate doors from this world to another world. And they essentially torture Portensia for about 14 hours. Once again, we are setting up... Delightful. Delightful. <laughs> Any Anytime I'm left to my own devices... <laughs> Some poor child gets tortured, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... So they now, so Whistler comes back, relays all this information. They're going to do another experiment, and she realizes they've got to do something because Portensia has reached into Whistler's mind and sort of shown her what they can kind of do, what um, what what's possible. Yeah. Um, she shows them a potential future, and so Marty feels it's time to finally reveal the truth about magic. Um, and I made a note here, a lot of Mounties were reticent to share the truth about magic with Whistler, but because Whistler knew more about the facility than anyone else, this was one of a couple times in this fragment where we forced their narrative hand because we needed Whistler to know enough about magic to come up with a plan that involved the Mounties doing extraordinary, unbelievable things to break in and rescue everyone down on the secure level so we kind of had marty say i don't i know there's a big debate but at the end of the day blank 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 i think it's important because we knew this was we knew where this was all going and there were yeah. certain certain check boxes that needed to be ticked in order to do what we wanted to do successfully and um i think we also knew this was the first time not only that it, they had performed magic before but they had never created their own magic yeah written and, and yeah Right, and so I think we felt too we can sh we can railroad them a little bit because the sky's the limit with how they accomplish it. 
which is sort of that balance of re- responsive fiction where it's like, we need to get you in this room this time. I'm sorry. Yeah. You need to come in this room. But once you're in here, you can do whatever you, you want. You can go mad. It. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. is that, that sort of those um, beats or key points that we, we know have got to happen. Yeah. Uh, so as you say, we've got to get you in the room. What you do in the room to get to the point where you can move on or leave the room, that's up to you. But we've still got to, you've got to be at this place at this time. Right. So just yeah. to check, we're not going to go over what those um, big law dumps are no we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna say go back and have a look and see what i'm gonna leave it to them to go back and yeah. research yeah of course of course um yeah and 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 there's a question i i have questions for later in the episode but one is pertaining to this and augustus asked on the forum today um if we had not decided to go in sort of passively sneakily stealth mode and just decided to go in guns blazing did we have a plan for all of that (laughs) um (laughs) and we didn't because this was one of the first times where your your decisions mattered how it happened how it was executed but this was a bit on rails Mm, because everything was so particular and when when whistler divulged her plan which was uh i wrote a little recap of it because i could barely keep track of it but as i was reading it i got excited like i was watching a mission impossible movie (laughs) i was like oh my god all the things they have to (laughs) do yeah Yeah, (laughs) it could all go wrong (laughs) so uh whistler with with the vision that portensia put in her mind she she realizes there's a way to drop internal security inside comedic solutions for about 10 minutes where marty can get in with ether's consciousness on his phone so they can reunite him with his body and save portensia (laughs) climber and then hopefully get out before anyone has realized and so to do that the mounties will have to create a spell for the first time where a visual alert system in comedic solutions will show a like hypnotizing image and will hide marty whistler and from the staff of comedic solutions but only as long as security is down and then also what i i loved augustus came up with the idea to repurpose sullivan's spell on deirdre to that hid her from magic to hide uh uh marty and company Mm. from everyone to like a shroud almost like an, an invisibility cloak um but not. But not. But not at all. <laughs> so um, at this point, do we know the identity of Climber? Has that already been? Uh, no, that wasn't ah. until until they make the journey down. Yeah, and <laughs> that was the we we were so inspired by that and excited because <laughs> in phase one, Allison sort of just saved our collective tales <laughs> over and over again. Bless her. Bless her. And and she was kind of our failsafe, our ringer, uh, fictional character that everyone thought was a real Mountie. And and so at this point, we knew we wanted to have someone on the inside, another Mountaineer who could offer information and help and, and raise the stakes because we didn't want to introduce a new unknown character. We mm. thought it would be cool to have someone they knew. And it also, we gave her the power to have like generational knowledge. All of her ancestors memories were sort of in her mind and it it retconned why allison was so good at solving the fragments in phase one <laughs> yes of course that was the, exactly the reason that was our plan all along all yeah. along no that was definitely a flying by the seat of our pants moment so so now yeah so the mounties were looking for a spell and then ether emails them and says no um you you have to create it on your own 
um, which I thought was awesome. And they and they came up with like um, they made these the spell with like blindfolds to sort of like blind the the employees from them in the like ten minutes they had. I uh, I just thought it was awesome. Oh, and yeah. there was there was one great moment. Another, if you look back, um, reader in phase one used when she needed to um, communicate with us after the cloisters mission. She got on a train and pickpocketed someone's phone so she could contact us. Right. And in this phase, Whistler says that she's managed to get a phone. And she's emailing us through it, but later says uh, they ended up disconnecting that phone, so I had to move on to like emailing you at a library. And that was one of a couple subtle hints that the methodology of the devoted was coming back. And so, right. yeah, it, it, I we wanted to hint at it being Whistler without completely giving it away because we right, like that yeah. surprise. Yeah. So the plan was Whistler will take Marty's phone and ether on it to medical to wake Kendrick get the piece of Portentia's mind inside him and then reunite Ether with his own body, which is in a sort of like firewalled medical room. <laughs> yeah. So Ether will be streaming the audio from Marty's Bluetooth headpiece to the Mountaineers via YouTube. <laughs> and of Marty course. will have the headpiece so that he can use it to communicate with Ether while he's using Whistler's badge to access the secure area to rescue Portentia and Climber. All the while, the Mountaineers will be performing two spells to hide everyone and distract the Comedic Solutions staff. Easy, simple. I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I really, I really, really like the idea of a ward that is uh, has a firewall around it. I think that's really cool because this idea that that you know, as we said, I think in um, three episodes back, a lot of the inspiration of this came from. Uh, 80s films like Firestarter and a little bit of E.T. and uh, The Fury, yeah, probably being yeah. the, the biggest <laughs> influence. And that idea that the, the psychic abilities need to be contained, otherwise uh, who, knows, can, who, can, who knows who can penetrate it or who, what can get out even. I think it's really yeah. exciting. I, I love that idea too, the sort of magical firewall mm. barring someone's magical consciousness from their body and the need yeah. to get it back before. And we had played with that idea of someone had even asked, has has Teddy already disposed of Ether's body? Is there anyone to even go back into? Uh, yeah, I loved all of that stuff. This is, and two, we had spent a lot of time with Whistler in seemingly benign, pointless um, correspondence with Marty talking about her day at Kemetic Solutions. But yeah. what we were doing was giving them a blueprint of the facility. So they knew where medical was. They yeah. knew where the elevators were. They knew the sublevel. Um, and so they go on the mission. The Mountaineers, while performing the spell, are also listening to it live on this YouTube stream. And it all goes to hell. It, <laughs> it was all a trap. And there is not only a bunch of big twists, but tons of uh, lore and character reveal mm. in the span of... 15 minutes. 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So I had to write them down because I couldn't remember them all. So Whistler was Sasha, the head yeah. of the devoted, and was brainwashed into being a triple agent. Um, Martin is a human well, the most rare of adepts who, who, can, who all their life attract magic to themselves. Martin always wondered why he, uh, 
he got involved in all these shenanigans and it's because he's he draws magic to him um kendrick never had the last fragment of portensia's mind uh fallon did um Ah, all of this was to bring martin not ether to comedic solutions Mm -hmm. because a human well is incredibly valuable apparently especially to uh, comedic solutions and its governing organization. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and it's um, it's also mentioned that um, it's just in one throwaway line, but Fallon knows that Martin has a, a sort of charm on him that previously protected him from them pursuing him. They couldn't just sort of kick his door in. He had to come mm. to them. Um, Fallon sacrificed his own son for the Wanderer Project. Uh, Fallon believes he's won, believes he's trapped Ether in a firewalled cell. But my favorite part is Martin surprises Fallon with the reveal that Ether never left his earpiece and has dropped Comedic Solutions firewall, has begun uploading gigabytes of sensitive information to a secure server, and and the reveal that Marty came prepared for a trap. Like, you yeah. can't get... You may trap him, you may kill him, but you won't get one over on on Martin Rank, which I just nice. love. I just what love a... that character <laughs> that, that I made up. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? He sort of, like, has taken on a life of his own. Well, that's it. I mean, I think, you know, it is interesting because he never intended to be that. He was the byline in a yeah newspaper cutting, and that was it. I say all the time, if I'd known he was going to be such a big character, I'd have picked a better last name. I just no, thought it's, Marty Rank was like, oh, that's a oh, great that's you know, New York, hardened New York it reporter. Is, yeah, yeah, it is. Um, but two, I feel like because of the way we've done this, a lot of times these characters sort of leave our hands. I don't feel responsible for the success of Martin Rank's character. Yeah, yeah. So I can say, wow, what a great character. We sort of like planted a seed, but I'm not responsible for what grew from it. It's... It's that back and forth between the readers, and it's another sort of extraordinary thing that I learned. That and, and I think Stephen King has said this before, but basically, the story, your character, the narrative of a book begins with the re, uh, the writer and ends with the reader. With the reader, yeah. That they have to fill that in to feel invested. You can't give it all to them. Yeah, um, I, I think we talked about this before and, and yeah. about J.K. Rowling and the idea that when she describes an area she leaves enough for your imagination and i think we talked about this last time and particularly around sound and why you know although it was a uh, a cost and logic um, logistics mm-hmm. decision about don't use video sound is really effective for that and all writing you know is really effective for that because it allows the listener the reader to you know use their imagination actively and that's what this is all about absolutely it's sort of like the, the movies of harry potter harry potter or even the the illustrations in the books i wouldn't want to look at them i had made up something yeah. so vivid in my yeah, head yeah. and didn't need to see i get it it's different for kids but i didn't need to see what someone's interpretation of it was mm-hmm. yeah um yeah so uh so fallon escapes or seemingly escapes as the storm descends because they have they have sort of blown their cover marty and ether has so the storm descends uh portensia using her foresight power and the assistance of allison uh uses the chair and the arch to open a door to the future 
and Ether is reunited with his body. And but as they're escaping, Marty goes back to look for Ether. Um, Portensia and Climber go through the portal, but the storm completely consumes the facility and the broadcast. And then ends up talking to the Mountaineers in this sort of like reverse voice thing. Yay! <laughs> which, yeah, which I loved, and which is my if you maybe we'll at the end of this episode we'll post the audio. We'll put the audio right. for the episode, and then if you don't mind, Simon. At the end of it, also play the re- unreversed version of the storm. Okay. So you can hear what he, what he, I say, and also you can hear my really bad impression of Tim Curry as Darkness from Legend. <laughs> 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 Those are my three voices. Well, I had an ether in there, but I did. I had to like p- pitch ether up. Yes. Um, yeah. So I I, I was Marty uh, Fallon ether the storm and then my friend vivian yeah, was we had, yeah was climber and portensia portensia yeah um and so the storm consumes the facility the broadcast and it tells us the mountaineers that comedic solutions has actually been trying to close doors not open them to to bar the council of the 18 gates from helping us and with the 18 gates using their power to protect the mountaineers instead of the book this time, they left the book of briars vulnerable and late. It was like a full hour and a half later when the mountaineers went to check the book of briars <laughs> and it was incinerated. Desolated. Oh, it was, it was so, so cool. So and, cool. And I remember, I remember you, once, once you've done that and just sort of wasted, wait, wait till they find out, wait, they find out. I know I was just out. staring at the forum waiting. <laughs> um, because for me, you know, this is all narrative, but in a screenwriting perspective, this was the end of Act Two. This was hmm. where, if we're going to win at the end of Act Three, the end of Act Two needs to be we have lost absolutely everything. Yeah. Um, so they don't know where Climber, Portensia, Ether, or Marty are. The storm has broken the connection to the 18 gates. The book has burned. And Fallon also revealed that there was a magically coerced informant within the Mountaineers' ranks who died as a result of their sort of control over him. And, and a few hours later, Indri confirms that it was Itsuki, the Balamora leader, who had actually died weeks prior. So we wanted to show too that there, you know, people weren't safe. Um, yeah. Do we want? Do we want to? Uh, I think. Well, yeah, it's the making of the monarch. Should we get into why we killed Itsuki? Why sure, we chose? Absolutely. Okay. So, injury was sort of bulletproof. She was too loved, and we needed she her. We needed yeah, yeah. Eves. We needed injury. Um, and then there were characters like Bash, who we love, but the Mountaineers hadn't had enough direct contact with Bash for it to matter. Bash didn't really do very much other than, hey, I'm technical support. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, yeah. And an Ascender, it would, you know, there were a lot of these characters that it just wouldn't have the resonance. And so we chose Tsuki. But also, people may remember that early on when we were talking about the pre-orders for the books, we were going to do a sixth book called The Campfire Chronicles. Yeah. And it was going to be a collection of readers of, of the Mountaineers stories that they wrote for Itsuki's project, the Campfire Chronicles. But I think because school, school was in session, um, people were really into the story 
and the puzzles and they weren't posting a lot in the campfire chronicles yeah. it was sort of our first big fail in a way i mean yeah. i think people loved it and have since gone on to do it in it's suki's honor but we were kind of stuck where we had created this big initiative and there just wasn't a lot of response for it and while it wasn't our punishment of the mountaineer <laughs> no we weren't not at all. we weren't punishing the mountaineers by killing itsuki we did feel well how do we get ourselves out of this and it yeah. was oh well if they if they they could possibly do it in his honor but also it makes it even more tragic that itsuki had like come around to brandon lockman's way of thinking uh you know imagination is memory transposed that's that mm -hmm. thing he believed and and he knew he was dying he had a brain tumor but he was going to leave this book for his daughter and so we felt like oh that's how we get them you know we we dig that in that like they will do that after and campfire has guilt since, you mean yeah guilt, guilt. yeah exactly <laughs> we have emotional guilt larceny we we ended up um and now campfire is pretty successful and yeah. people are continue to explore things and it's sort of it's now called itsuki's campfire because of that yeah but yeah we totally did it to punish you not really <laughs> maybe <laughs> um so we, have we did it so i get a chance to write a really lovely uh song oh, for itsuki that's all i love that song <laughs> yeah so that was oh and then oh gosh people had all here are the big questions and okay. um and, and and it will sort of segue us into talking about um uh the third assessment so there was no way to access the book and people were really devastated that the book wasn't responding um because it had been burned and, and there was a lot of denial everyone kept saying no 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 no, no. we'll get it back we know it's going to be fine it's gonna um but what i loved and and not to toot my own horn but vivian brought this up she said I have a third assessment question if you're covering that here. I know Fletcher Dawson ended up leading into the time key as much as wrapping up Cosmos. So if you don't, so, so if not, don't worry about it. What was the process like for creating that crazy global constellation puzzle? Did you create the, <laughs> did you create the, yeah. Did you create the constellation shapes around that assessment design or did the constellations come first and then you found ways to fit them into city landmarks? And how much was the myth of Eleanor story influenced by the constellation shapes or vice versa? Other way, the, the the myth came first. Right? The myth came first. Fletcher wrote the myth for us. The whole series of clues, and she goes on to say, the whole series of clues and tie-ins transitioning between phases felt so beautifully cohesive. So I wondered what parts came first. And I do. We're going to get into the whole constellation thing, but she had a point that I only noticed on going back and reading, which was we peppered for the first time th the plot of Phase Four at the end of phase three mm -hmm. because yeah. we knew so we were so sure about what would happen we knew we could destroy the book because they were going to reach back in time and get yeah and that was a big it was like a 3 a.m text to you where it was like i know this is crazy <laughs> but i but. think we should destroy their book and they have to get the 94 mountaineers book through time yeah um we always knew phase four would be time so then we we planted all these seeds like portensia took them into the future yeah. Um, Fletcher Dawson's website appeared and had the Chrono Compass, which was all about time, and and they yeah. and that's where the third assessment was was housed. So yeah, I I was I, looking back on this, I hadn't noticed it before, but I was really proud that there was a thread, this cohesion that went through, and um, and so let's talk a little about the constellations. 
Yeah, so that we knew. So the, the, this was the other big Simon assignment. The story was written, and we so we knew what the, the 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 four constellations were meant to represent in terms of the magic items, the shield, the weapon, the helm, and the armor. Um, so we kind of had these shapes, um, and then I think I just did. I just did did. Did I just draw the shapes, or did we agree the the kind of? Va- oh no, no, we had to have, <laughs> we had to have the shapes um, up front, didn't we? Before we even had the map, or did no, no, we we, we sketched them. We sort of said, yeah. here's what a piece of armor could roughly look could like. Look here's like. what, yeah, and so and then, then yeah. we would sort of we picked cities that we thought were yes. spread out enough and interesting. And then when, when when I had the cities, I would go and go, right, okay, where are interesting places within the city that we could turn into puzzle clues so that that would match the four points? And so each of the cities, I, um, yeah, just redrew the actual shape on a on a map right. and then sent them to you for art, for, for creating the artwork for each of the yeah. um, constellations. And then and then also choosing locations that sort of, this is our, our, our thing we did a lot with the Monarch Papers is we wanted to use locations, but we always wanted them to feel like they had some sort of historical, si- yeah. timeless significance instead of a 7-Eleven. You know? yeah, they were, they, <laughs> so they were they were theaters they were um significant buildings yeah. that that could be part of our world or part of our law right and they could be you know ex uh places that were built by mountains or, or the whole um wool and silver thing it could they, they could definitely be part of those stories right. and so yeah it was making sure that we chose sites that either had a name or a, or a building that would feel authentic. Yeah. And then I, I think... I can't remember what any of them were, by the way. I can't either. <laughs> don't ask me that. I know that. I do remember the cities, but I don't remember anything else. Well, Montreal, Paris. Montreal, Paris. St. Petersburg. Uh, St. Petersburg. And Mexico City. That was fun. St. Petersburg. Petersburg. Because everything was in bloody Cyrillic. <laughs> <laughs> and I think so everything I was, like, oh. was named after Zeus. And everyone, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was... They were... Yeah. It was very strange. <laughs> but didn't... Uh, also... The other thing was that each of the cities didn't they lead on from the last cuz so some of the streets or oh, regions Oh that's a piece they never figured out. Yeah. So so, so Mexico City one of the areas was pointed to Paris. It, so there was a street called Paris. Next. Yeah and so yeah. so if there were seven points on the Mexico City constellation only six this is what why it took them o- over a month to figure this out yeah is because only six had places on the map and the seventh would point to the next city they had to go to yeah but they and never in, figured out that that uh that dynamic that device and then I think in Paris they were uh, the streets were all Russian uh, mm-hmm. towns or Russian uh, uh I don't know. Man, that was quite an undertaking, Simon, that I and just I, dumped I, in your I, lap. <laughs> and then I think the... So there's only four. So Mexico City, uh, Russia. I went, so how did, I get, how did we get from Russia to Montreal? Hmm. I do not remember. <laughs> it would have been easier to get from Paris to Montreal because there's the whole French thing. Yeah, there. it was almost like I, I thought there was a, a museum or a gallery or something that had something yeah, to do with our, our... Oh, uh, yeah, there was a piece that was related to something from St. Petersburg, like some sort of artifact. Quebec-y kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. And so then they yeah, solved that. I forgot that. how complicated that was. It was very complicated. <laughs> I didn't remember that that 
element of the part that would lead you on to the next city, which actually yeah. was really unfair. We thought we were helping them, but they were they no. it wouldn't fit because they were looking for a seventh. We um, still hadn't learned our lesson. We still hadn't, and never, so and we never fully learned. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and so with that, they were able to put in the four elements to Fletcher Dawson's website, and in his art section, they found uh, elements for the third assessment, and that raised a lot of questions, which would be answered at the end of phase four, like why would Fletcher Dawson have that on his website, and it would uh, be revealed later that throughout time, Sullivan had been gaining assistance from people and organizations to help facilitate the execution of the monarch papers and to finally unlock the book of briars it's the only way we could that he could do it without the without the silver coming to destroy him they never knew it was happening um yeah so that's that's uh that's uh fragment 12 in a nutshell oh i think we do have one other question oh we have a couple um, Robert says, I seem to remember we never got the last piece of Portensia's drawing. Is that right? Was that intentional? Um, he said, we were collecting them, and then we got to the big finale, and Teddy revealed he had the last piece of Portensia's mind in his head the entire time. And then the Comedic Solution site went down a couple minutes later when the storm hit, and we lost access to her drawing. So we never got to see the last piece fill in. Was there significance in that last piece? No. Well, no. The point was <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. The drawing, the drawing had a mantra. Her father, one of her fathers, had taught her to control her power, and to keep it in check. And and when Fallon, we knew Fallon had the last piece in his head. We knew Portensia would never get that piece. And if you go back and listen to the audio, Climber's entire assistance of Portensia when she's in the chair to open the portal is her saying, "You don't need the poem anymore." unleash your power unleash it and you can open this door and save everybody all right yeah and so the point was oh crap we don't get that piece oh wait she doesn't need it if she, she just accepts it. that she's powerful um yeah just like tons of stuff all <laughs> a stories <laughs> b stories subtext text all over the place there's still things <laughs> to go back and and learn um so that was from robert let's see augustus had another question this was a popular one this fragment and fragment 11 saw a big influx of new mountaineers, including me, from what appears to have been a successful run of ads. Did you have to do anything specific for the increased number of people working on the fragments in terms of things like volume of posts? Or was it not really different than, say, the fauna fragments? What about organization in terms of the making a spell and spell casting? Did you ever feel you wanted to step in and help organize, or was it a they're doing this on their own and the dice will fall where they may sort of situation? This time into that first question it was a pretty big risk to take to leave us to our own devices do you feel that this worked well i absolutely do and we yeah. ended up doing it a lot more because you guys were as invested in the story as we were at this point you self-organize incredibly well i'm or never ceases to amaze me absolutely how you can arrange to be on a hangout at a certain time yeah. and do things with cat and i'm just like they're do they're, what is this That's, this is amazing I, it got <laughs> yeah, to where i stopped amazing. checking i would just watch when it happened and got to yeah. experience my own narrative as a reader yeah. because i didn't know and and frankly it bought us time because we weren't having to to sort of puppeteer that part 
no, we were letting you go happening. do that so we could work on comedic solutions. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and as for new readers, no, we made things crazy difficult to begin with. So having new people <laughs> <laughs> didn't matter. <laughs> and also we learned, this was another thing we learned, is when there was a big influx of readers, they were all sort of like scampering around like mice. Like they were learning everything, reading everything, throwing ideas out there. But, but by and large, you had to really have like immersed yourself to know yeah, where these puzzles and things were going. And so some people, I think it was a brand new reader. She had been on for three or four days who solved the Fletcher Dawson assessment. So, um, yeah, but by and large, people were just sort of like, how can I help? What can I do? I mean, that, that, that is the thing I'm most grateful for and impressed by all of this is how amazing our readers yeah. have been throughout and the community Completely. vibe, which is kind of one of a kind online to be, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think those are all the questions. Um, well, yeah. So end of fragment 12, end of assessment three, we then took some time off. Deirdre had left Montreal and decided to just like hold up with Cole in his apartment and they're like living the domestic sweet life. And then she had a dream that she was Anne of Brittany. And she was watching, <laughs> yeah, you know, as you do. And yeah, as you do. <laughs> she was watching herself being torn apart. And she remembered a line that her father said that was particularly cruel in the journal entry in Montreal that said, your heart is already guarded. And mm -hmm. she was like, how dare you, sir? But then, <laughs> but then later realized, wait a minute, Anne of Brittany's heart was guarded by, yeah. by a silver veil. And she, it's in, but it's, her heart is in a... Yeah, and a reliquary with a silver veil. So yes. Deirdre races back to the brownstone to get the silver hippocampus pendant and the wool scarf that her father had innocuously left her in, in the attic of her aunt's house and realize that these might be the original artifacts of the silver and the wool. And just to confirm that, when she picks it up and realizes that, every door in the brownstone starts knocking. <laughs> and that was sort of like the end of this, you know, season. Yeah. The end of this sort of Very cool. little break. Um, so should we? Um, we'll play the uh, sound bits now, and then um, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. So if you if you uh, are new to Ackerly Green and you have somehow stumbled on this podcast, please go to ackerlygreen.com where you can read more about all these characters, events, meet other uh readers and uh have a lot of magical fun if you are a reader and you haven't contributed to patreon patreon is what helps us make this podcast because we can outsource things to other people and focus on doing fun stuff like this and we have four episodes left five episodes four four, four yeah. episodes left and We're then on, maybe a 12. bonus where we just get smashed oh i like that a bonus for <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll allow Johnny to come back for that one. Perfect. Oh, yeah. He has to come back. He has things to discuss. Um, yeah, so uh, we'll play the audio now. I uh, hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. All right, here goes. They don't see us. It's working. Hold on. Wait. Are you Whistler? We have less than 10 minutes. You have him? It's okay, Martin. I'll go with her. You get to put Titsy in climber. We'll get the fragment from Kendrick. Get back to your body first. I don't know how my mind or body will react. I might be out of it. I need to wake Kendrick up first. 
And then get back to your body and both of you get out. She can talk to me on the phone and you can hear me from the earpiece. Okay, but cut off contact if it's too much. Deal? Deal. We gotta go. Here's my badge. The elevators to the sub-level are on the other side of the building. Straight down that hall, then right when it ends. And another right when that one ends. I'll keep them safe. Okay. Let's go. I hear you. I'm almost at the elevators. We just got to medical. There are people all over the place, but they're not looking at us. I am feeling pulled by my body. Hopefully, I'll be able to make it back in easy. Be careful. I'm here. I'm going down. Good luck. Just finding my way down here. It's dark. There's these weird lights and equipment. They're doing crazy stuff down here. Was there any idea where we should look? Martin, she never saw where they were held. You're just going to have to keep looking. Um, want me to try and get the lights on? No. Focus on you and Kendrick. I always bring a flashlight. We have to leave him. You have to get back to your body, Ether. What about Hortensia? The fragment? We'll deal with it. Ether? Ether! Okay. I might be out of contact for a while. Tell Whistler I'll get Kendrick out if I can. I'll see you outside. Looking forward to meeting you face to face. Martin, it's Teddy Fallon. The girls are safe and sound. You recognized her right away, didn't you? Yeah. But you didn't know who she was until today. No. But you still gave her the boy. Why? You thought she really woke up. Well, <laughs> I thought you'd see through it. I thought you'd figure out we only let Sasha believe she'd been in an accident programmed her to think she woke up when she was really doing exactly what we wanted her to do. Get Ether back. Yes, but more importantly, bring you here. 
Why, to kill me? We have never intentionally taken a life. Did you know that, almost without exception, intentionally killing someone bars you from the use of magic for the length of your natural life? So that's the point of Sweeper, Wanderer? You don't kill people, you just destroy them? I see Ether's been going through my things. The point of all of this is to understand why. Which is what no one knows, and what we must learn at any cost. You have no idea the lengths we are willing to go. Do you know Wanderer was my son? I don't care. You're not taking another person's life away. Why do you think we're here? You're trying to buy time until the reboot ends. Martin, Sasha is already shutting the reboot down as we speak. You are here because you are special. You are the rarest of adepts. I'm not magic. No? Haven't the Mountaineers ever wondered why we couldn't just uh, knock on your apartment door or pick you up on the street? I didn't cast that charm. It was a gift to me. Have you never wondered why you have found yourself circling all manner of magic most of your adult life? It's because you are what we call a well. You haven't been circling anything. It's been circling you. It doesn't matter. It does. It's why we've done all of this the past few months. Threatening Ether, putting the life of a young man at risk, like Brandon, like your son. It's catnip for you. Why do you think we've had that girl in the chair over and over and over when I've had the last fragment of her mind in my head for months? To bring you here. Because with you here, we'll be able to bring all manner of power to our side. To the palace made of doors. You won't beat the mountaineers. Beat them? We're already inside them. Learned everything we needed to remove them from the equation. They've already lost and they never even learned what game they were playing. Bullshit. We started sending recruits through the magic guide, but we couldn't count on it. So instead we piggybacked on Ether's signal to you sent coercion images into his broadcast, and one of you turned. He reported back everything to us, and he could bypass your little spell because he didn't even know what he was doing was wrong. Unfortunately, we didn't know he had a brain tumor the size of an apple, and the stress of the coercion killed him. So, with our informant out of the game and Ether falling apart, we had to get clever. Sasha... Yes. Now, Ether is back where he belongs. His mind trapped in a firewalled cell we made you believe held his body. Sasha will be brought back into the fold with the flip of a proverbial switch, and now you're here. And now you belong to us. You are out of your mind. What is the problem, Martin? You've wanted the truth your whole life, and now you have it. The problem is Ether never went back to his body. He never even went with Sasha. Ether's in this earpiece on my head, and he's not only been broadcasting you to the Mountaineers, he's dropped your firewalls. He's been sending gigabytes of comedic information to a secured server for the past ten minutes. 
The problem, Teddy, is you've been too busy sacrificing the lives of other people that you never once considered we'd risk our lives to save someone else. No. Yeah. Martin, you have no idea what you've done. Sure we do. The storm is coming. Yeah, 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 we've heard. No, Martin. It's coming right now. Get back in your body, I'll get them, and meet us back at the elevators as soon as you can. I'm unlocking the cells now. Hortensia. Get back. It's okay, Allison. We, we have to get out of here. Something's coming. Allison? Martin? Can you walk? I'm fine. Just help Port. <clears throat> okay. The elevators are this way. It's uh, nice to put a face to the kid in my phone. The elevator's not working. No, it's working. It's just being called upstairs. <sighs> We're too late. <sighs> Is there another way out? Let me check. No. This is it. What was that? It's the storm. I can reach upstairs. See no. If don't. You don't understand. This is it. This is how it always ends. Take me to the chair. What? No. Take me to the chair. That's the way out. Cork, you could die in that thing. I won't. Can you see what's gonna happen? I can hold the doors. Buy us some time. No. Martin, it's okay. I'll be right behind you. I don't want to lose any of you. Trust us. Go. Where's the chair? This way. Here. Okay. Now what? We should back up. don't need the poem. You don't need to control your power or be afraid of it. It's not scary. It's a gift. That's what I've learned from all these years. It's why I'm here right now holding your hand. I'm not afraid. You can do this. You can see a future away from me. Remember? Remember the drawing. A place where you're safe and I'm there with you. And so is Ethel. You can see it. Can't you, Port? Good. Now open the door to that future and take us there. Let's go home.
go. Where are you going? I'm not leaving without Ethan. Go. Ethan. And now here it is, the right way round. Enjoy, Buffy Season 2 fans. The dance has begun. We, the ever-churning storm, descend once more. As always, the gates have moved to protect the worthless lives of their naive little mountain climbers. Ever lost, ever misinformed, reaching for a peak that you will never find. They care for you as they have never cared for previous manipulated acolytes. And in doing, they have made themselves vulnerable. They've stretched their meager power tooth in. Soon, what little power the council soon possesses will fade, and they will disappear back into the frame. Then one by one, we will come for you and wipe you from our world like marks upon a looking glass. How could you have ever won? To defeat an enemy, you must know that. The gates will never win because they do not understand their enemy. We have no desire to abandon a world we controlled in completion. We were not learning how to open doors. We were learning 